to tilt this down because I'm short. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, I'm Nicole Maggi. I am the author of the Twin Willows trilogy and the standalone thriller, The Forgetting. Um, but I'm actually not here to talk about myself for once in my life. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm here to talk about these two amazing rock stars. Um, first, I will start with Romina Russell, my wonderful dear friend. She originally hails from Buenos Aires, Argentina. Did you like the little accents? I, yeah, I know. I practiced that in front of the mirror. Um, as a teen, she landed her first writing gig, a nationally syndicated Sunday column in the Miami Herald called College She Wrote, which she wrote while studying at Harvard. She is the author of the Zodiac books, an epic YA sci-fi fantasy series set in a universe inspired by the Zodiac signs. It follows, yes, round of applause. They're awesome. It follows the adventures of Roe Grace of Planet Cancer as she tries to unite the divided worlds of her galaxy before a legendary evil returns to destroy them. The third book in the series, Black Moon, right there. That's right. And she brought a copy for somebody else here and not me. So Romina and I aren't really on speaking terms right now. But um, that releases next month. But you can buy the first two books in the series, Zodiac and Wandering Star, today and binge read them in time for the third book. So, Romina says she is a Virgo to the core, and as her dear friend and critique partner, I can definitely attest to that fact. And my daughter is a Virgo. And yeah. Yeah. And our lady of the hour, Jen Brody, is another Harvard graduate. All these smart people. I went to like the dumb school across the across the river, Emerson in Boston. And we were like, we were like the hippies that hung out on the street. Like all the Harvard people were like, you know, I don't know, discovering Facebook and stuff, but I mean, inventing Facebook. Um, we were getting high, but anyway, you know, whatever. Uh, after studying film at Harvard, Jen worked in Hollywood on several notable films, including the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the Golden Compass. In 2008, she produced the film Make It Happen for the Weinstein Company. Before getting published, she studied at the Tin House Summer Writers Workshop and the Lemon Tree House Residency for Writers. She's a volunteer mentor for the Young Storytellers Foundation, a writing instructor for the Writing Pad, a member of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America, and... She runs BookPod, a social media platform for, write, for authors. After all that, she still has time to write. Like, <laughs> what? I don't get it. The fir her first novel, The 13th Continuum, debuted earlier this year and won the gold medal in the young adult fiction fantasy sci-fi category of the Woo! Independent Publishers Moonbeam Children's Book Award. Woo! Yes. Awesome. The 13th Continuum launches the journey of Myra Jackson, who lives in an underwater contingency shelter where her people have dwelled since a cataclysmic event on Earth a thousand years ago. This might not be science fiction in a few years. Right. <laughs> when, she, when she discovers that the air supply on her underwater colony is running out, she must find the mythical place known as the surface, where people breathe fresh air, feel the warmth of something called sunlight on their skin, and see things known as stars and trees and mountains. Imagine that. 
With the fate of all humankind depending on her, Myra must escape the tyrannical forces that rule their colonies, journey through the black depths of the ocean and across the cold void of space to find each other on the surface that their ancestors once called home. I am very excited to be here to celebrate the release of the second book in the trilogy, The Return of the Continuums. And now I'm going to turn it over to these two amazing authors. Thank you. Passing? Passing? Is that not working? Nope. I don't think it's on. She'll flip it. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Oh, it's so fun to see so many faces from all walks of our lives. Totally. And even people we've yet to meet. Yes. But look forward to meeting. Indeed. So we're just going to chill here and talk yeah. about some fun writing stuff. We're going to take some questions and then uh, mingle and hang out. So thanks for coming to one of my favorite bookstores, Skylight Books. I'm so glad to have everyone here. This is a pillar of the L.A. literary community, and I have long wanted... I've always come to readings here. I can't believe I am sitting here now. Yes. It's my first event here, too, and it's it's so great. It's such an honor, and it's such a cool store. And we were talking about the natural lighting. Mm -hmm. Like, it makes the books look so pretty, and the colors pop on the covers. And, of course, now I notice this, but it's true. So let's get chatting. What do we want to talk yeah. about? Yeah. First of all, do we have a lot of writers here? How many writers are here? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, writing is will be good to talk about. Yeah. Um, so let's get started by maybe saying a little bit about our journey. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what brought you here? And Yeah, we'll both talk about that. So um, my background, as um, was discussed, is that I studied film at Harvard. I'm long been a big movie TV fan, also a voracious reader. So I just, I think I love storytelling in all forms. And so um, I moved to LA after graduating and started working in Hollywood right away. Um, my uh, favorite job was probably at New Line. Um, where my boss did the Lord of the Rings movies and a bunch of other so cool. awesome and I'm a total, thanks to my dad a total fan of Tolkien and Lord of the Rings so it was such a fun journey um, but at a certain point when I was working I sort of started to want to write my own stories and not just always work on other people's which is what you do a lot in development with Hollywood I mostly would acquire books I worked with Neil Gaiman I worked with uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell I worked on Philip Pullman's The Dark Materials series oh, love that series amazing if no yeah. one's read his Dark Materials it's it's so it's yeah it's I mean <laughs> <laughs> no, he's he's brilliant, and so Neil Gaiman is brilliant, and um, but I just sort of wanted to write my own stuff, so I sort of write, started writing on the side and teaching myself. I had never taken classes, but I was a huge reader, um, and I wrote a first book that I worked on for a long time, and it was actually adult contemporary, and it did not sell, but it did land me a, a great dream agent, an agent I never thought would sign me, um, who uh, usually does not take new clients. And so that started to happen. And in the meantime, I had started kicking around the 13th continuum idea. And it just wouldn't leave me alone. 
so um, I just kind of knew I had to write it, even though it was a pretty big departure from what I had written before. Um, and so, yeah, so I ended up writing it and did the whole nine yards of submission. It took a little bit of time to find the right publisher. Oh, yeah, this maybe like tell us a little bit about how that process works, just like super briefly. Like, yeah, super anyone. briefly. What happens if you get agented is that they will then um, send your book to editors that they think might like it. Um, but this was sort of all happening in a post Hunger Games world where the market was very, I'm sure you might have yes. gone through a similar yes. process. Yes. Um, where everyone's like, we have so much science it's so fiction. saturated, yes. yes. Once one genre picks up, I mean, it happened with vampires with Twilight as well, and with magic after Harry Potter, it's like, you just start to get all of the same yeah, stuff. Yeah, like, is, no more creature books, yes. no more, so it's always, like, now contemporary is very big, but I have a feeling that market is pretty yeah. flooded right yeah. now, so and nobody really always knows what the next thing will be, and the thing with books, it takes a while to write them, Yes. so you can't really write to the market, <laughs> yeah. because by the time your book's done, right, the market has moved on, you really do need to write what you love. Exactly. And kind of perseverance is the big word, yes. I think. And you probably have the same thing. So I was told a lot that my book was too crossover, too adult, too all these different things until I found the right editor. Yes. And I think it's just all about, you know, it ta only takes one yes. Right? You can get a hundred no's. I mean, even, I think J.K. Rowling can vouch for this. It takes one yes. You know, and all of us famous authors, my favorite authors, have gone through rejection. Like, J.K. Yeah. Rowling has posted her rejection letters on Twitter, which I think is amazing and brave. And hard to believe Harry Potter got a lot of rejection. But guess what? It did. So, um, so that was sort of my process. And then once um, I found the right publisher, things moved pretty quickly. Yeah. And um, it, it just feels good to have come this far. And even just winning the award was really exciting because you're like, oh, wait. Maybe it is really good. Yeah. Maybe it's not just well, like a couple people, you know, imposter syndrome who, who are No, because like, your series has like a lot of heft. Like it's funny because like sometimes I feel like you pick up a YA book and it's like very commercial and it's fun and it feels like, you know, you just ate like a great midnight Milky Way bar and you're yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you know, and then whatever. Like, and, but it doesn't. Hello, Twilight. No offense. <laughs> it doesn't like. I read the whole series. It doesn't like, like, or it stays with you, but it not, it doesn't feel filling, you know? Yeah. Um, and then sometimes you read books that you're just like, oh, this is so good, and I know it's so deep, and I'm learning so much from it, and I'll digest it one day in the future, but right now, like, I can, and you just put it down. But yours has that perfect thing where it's so exciting, but it also feels like, like, it feels like it's conveying a lot, but you're, like, you're taking it in as you're reading, and you're not as aware of it, and so it reminds me of kind of the, the classic sort of that, like, that you find early on in your life and really kind of like anchor you in some way. That's so great that you say that because that was absolutely the intention and the huge influence on me um, and thanks to my dad, like I read a lot of Edgar Rice Burroughs when I was growing up. I was obsessed with the John Carter Mars books. Um, Jules Verne, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. We had like the VHS, the old movie. I wore it out. I loved it so much. I mean, it, it's amazing. Um, Tolkien, all of that. And so when I was writing, I... It sounds grandiose, and I don't know, but I wanted to write something I thought could maybe stand some test of time that wouldn't be a book. I didn't need something that was a blockbuster. I needed something that might, I thought, reach people and have word of mouth and that people might take something from, or at least that's what I wanted. So um, I'm really proud of the book. And there's dorky things in it that I never thought I'd get away with, like, hello, constitutional amendments that I like completely made up and put in the book, and they're in there. And I thought every editor would be like, yeah, you got to take these out. <laughs> you can kind of step too far with this world-building stuff but um, hey it worked out for me so well, and Romina like what, what was your process for coming oh, and publishing um, so 
Because um, you got out of college. Yes. I. So we went to the same college. Um, I got out of college. I came out here and I did a lot of entertainment stuff. So like yep. I was uh, running a movie trailer boutique mm-hmm. and I was writing and producing movie trailers and it was really great because I went and wrote my first script and they were like, we don't use words like delve in trailers. <laughs> you dig. And I'm like, oh, my Harvard English professors are going to love this. Oh, so like I gosh. wrote the angriest emails in the world. Like you did not prepare me for anything. Yeah, the real world is not college. People. Yes, it's it's really not like you're so like in Hollywood. Oh wow, well, you're so sheltered, right? Like yeah. Well, I worked for Michael Bay with my first job, and oh my god, that. But, um, that so was tell us about that. <laughs> he did, and I worked for his bosses, who also well, one of them also had gone to Wesleyan, so he just basically hired his two best friends to run his company, who didn't oh, know much about. And they're still running the company, and they've been very successful. And so um, the first film I ever worked on was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. And I remember calling my parents and being like, what are you doing? And I was like, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, my God, dude. I'm actually a huge horror movie buff, so I was cool. But nobody else is doing remakes. We kind of started the whole remake, for better or worse. We sort of started that whole thing um, and did really well with it. Send your hate mail here. Yeah, you can send it to me. Um, But uh, my parents were like, we put you through college for what? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Michael is brilliant in certain ways and incredibly challenging in others. And pretty much anything you read is probably true about him. Um, You know, so he can be charming. He can also be a complete terror. He directs through a bullhorn and yells at people. So, anywho, (laughs) Transformers is a good fit for him. He's a little stuck in the 80s. (laughs) But, you know, hey, mindless Hollywood entertainment. It was an interesting splash, but it it was definitely like, I need to get out of here. So, New Line was a good place to go to right out of the gate because it it was my dream job. Like... Fellowship of the Ring. So I know. I think of the the Lord of the Rings as soon as you say New Line. <laughs> yeah, because that's really you know there had been a lot. They'd done a lot of my favorite films like Seven. If anyone remembers David Fincher, Seven, yeah. um, the comedies like all the Jim Carrey stuff, The Mask, Dumb and Dumber. But and I was a big fan of the Blade movies. Does everyone know the Blade movies? Yeah. So I went in. We were doing Blade Three, but um, yeah, but yeah, the third one. Uh, David Goyer directed it. <laughs> he, I mean, he writes. I mean, David's a huge writer. He writes all of the Batman movies, Batman Begins. He does all the DC comic stuff, and he's super talented. But you know, <laughs> the, the directing maybe not. Well, because the second one was Guillermo del Toro directed Blade Two, and that was his first English language film. So if you have not seen Blade Two. Yeah, I like he, he's on this guy's on my alley. He's like he's yeah. a, like he's a Hollywood editor. Of course, yeah. he's gonna want to talk about all this. Anyways, not to digress into all this Hollywood stuff, but you were a trailer company. So trailer fun. companies, yeah. So that was fun. And then you started writing. And then I so I was writing. I was. I pretty much my process to publication was about 10 years Mm -hmm. Uh, rejection after rejection after rejection after just kill me now kind of like I cannot face another agent's rejection was it like crawl in bed like I used to like I would get a rejection and like have to crawl in bed for like an hour no it was awful and also it's like I wrote five books before Zodiac that I sent out so it's like to do that again to be like all right, fine this was rejected but let me write a second one so I have writing students here all my writing students here so when I say in class, oh, oh hi everyone, that almost all authors have drawer novels. See, I mean it. Almost yes. all of us have those. Yes. It is almost, I, very few people go straight 
from trying to write, writing a book, and then it coming out. That is very uncommon. It it's not that it never happened. No, but, but like that's how you learn. I mean, it's not it's not even failure. It's like you're just you're trying to solve a puzzle, and like every time you submit it, and it's like, well, it's not quite the image yet, but try again, you know, and you try again, and that's the way you have to look at it. It's awful because it's like. I always it's say it's scarring. like it's so much worse than being rejected for anything else because it's not like it's like fine like you don't like my hair I can style it differently or whatever but like when you don't like what's like when you're like I reject this it's like you're rejecting what's inside me like what is yes. me and it's like the stuff that like I can't even express so I have to turn to writing and then I'm so scared to share and then I do and you're just like yeah no and yeah. it's like and it can be so fickle it can be like so yeah. random yeah like, and one you can get one that's like we didn't you we didn't like your main character and the next one is like your main character is brilliant we didn't yeah. like this you start to learn that it's very much opinions and subjective anyone who's ever worked in a creative field acting whatever yes isn't it subjective yes y'all yes. like isn't it like one person's opinion but it's not even just that it's like you walked into this bookstore and you might leave with one book mm -hmm. but that means you've just rejected thousands of books and that doesn't mean you're saying all these people suck you're just saying like I don't have time like this is the one that grabbed me right now and I'm leaving that's all it is that's all it agents are doing when they're rejecting you or a publisher it's like there's only so much and they, they get can queried do. I mean they get so much I mean like yeah. big agents yeah, yeah, will yeah. get like hundreds of queries a day potentially so you're up against a lot so much but what you just have to remember is like art is not science or math it can never be wrong whatever someone tells exactly. if someone tells you it's wrong they're wrong it's exactly. your expression it's your subjective expression of your truth and it can either like go over somebody's head or like pierce them right through the heart it can never be wrong. And you have to remember that because yeah. no one else will tell you that. And you have to like separate the business from the writing. Yes. And I think to be a writer, you have to absolutely love and enjoy writing and love yes. your story because that's the only true satisfaction I think you're going to get because, um, you know, the business side is the business. And like for anyone who's ever done anything creative and tried to do it as a business, like there's going to be good and bad parts of it. But you really have to be at the core, I think, love. And when you yes. say, because I love writing. And yes. I think that you, yes. I can feel that from you. And, and you're, not all authors do, but I no. find the ones that don't, get, they get bitter. Yes, yes. They get, yes. They get burned out because they're doing it not... I don't want to say for the wrong reasons, right? It's just not but righteous. It's not righteously. And it's like you really have to do it because you love it. Because, like, it is the loneliest it career is, and ever. Long. Long. Like, I seriously just started talking to everyone as soon as I walked in. So I was like, people, people, hi, 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 like, hi, hi, hi. And, like, I just have not seen a human being in so long. Yeah. And it's amazing. But I'm on deadline and it's bad. She's on a crazy deadline. Yeah. It's amazing she could even make time to be here. And I just did my deadline. My third book is oh. in, it's in the copy edit. It's called The United Continuums. It will publish July of next year. The cover is beautiful, but um, I was on lockdown. <laughs> I was like double shifts, like working at night. I usually don't personally love to write at night because it can get overwhelming, but I was double shifting and I had to look at my schedule and be like, what's going to give? So I haven't watched TV in like two months. <laughs> and if anyone knows me, I love television. So, But that's where time in my schedule came out. But yeah, I, yes. I empathize with you and your deadline. It's awful. Do you have strategies for dealing with deadlines? Um. Yeah, I was going to ask. <laughs> Procrastination? <laughs> Procrastination. But like sometimes it does get to the point where you have to force yourself to, on the page. And even if it's like you literally feel like I have nothing to give you, then go back and start reading from an earlier point because invariably as you start reading and I'm really hoping this isn't just a Virgo perfectionist thing in me but like you mm -hmm. will always want to change one thing even a comma even yeah. if it's a comma 
you're editing now. Look yeah. at that. You're doing something. And now you just keep going. And oftentimes as you're reading and you do the running leap or you read first to write, it'll like you'll remember like a thought you had or it'll inspire you or, or you'll just you'll love your character so much that you just want to stay with them. You yeah, know? you'll get great. back in the floor yeah. the flow of the story and it's so true. Or sometimes I'll tell myself, you just have to write a paragraph. Yeah. Who can't string four sentences yes. together? And then a lot of times when you do that, all of a sudden, again, you're off to the races. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of just trying to psych yourself out. Because if you sit down, like, I'm writing 12,000 words today, like, good luck with that. Yeah, no. You know? Like, if anyone's ever tried. Like, it's actually, um, there's an author I love, Danny Shapiro. She has a new memoir coming out. She's one of my favorite writing teachers. I think there's some people here from the workshop that I went to, Siren Land. I see a few of you folks. Um, she runs this amazing workshop where I actually workshopped um, the 13th continue with Meg Wallitzer, if anyone's read or knows Meg. Yeah, she, um, so I worked with her. But Danny um, recently had a blog post where she talked about, and I made my students read it, where it's like, um, you have the whole day blocked off. It's like the perfect time for writing. You're totally set up. And guess what happens? Nothing happens. And then there's the crazy day where you have, I only have half an hour, and I got to do this thing, and all of a sudden, you, you're so prolific. Exactly. Like, there's, it doesn't work the same way twice. You know, mm-hmm. you just have to kind of go with it. And it's like, and... Um, Harness it. So how did you get the idea for this series? Because you'd written Sorry. a couple. Were you writing YA before this? So yes, I was always writing YA. I mean, my first attempt at writing was actually at Harvard at one of those creative writing courses. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had these writing courses where you were only supposed to turn in stories. And so when it came to my turn to turn in the second story, I was like, I wrote a continuation of the first. And she's like, you didn't follow the instructions. That's not cute. And I'm like, oh, I don't wow. care. So I just gave it to her. And then I enrolled for her next class the next semester. And I'm like, I'm going to continue this story. And you'll continue reading it, right? And she was like, yeah, I guess. And so now she's actually a mentor at Israel, but she was just so annoyed with me. Um, But that was my first, and it wasn't YA, and I don't know what it was, but sometimes you just have to get it out, and like classes are so great, and I'm so glad you're teaching classes. Classes and And workshops. Yes. And the thing, because what you're saying is true, which is it can feel isolating when you're trying to write, and so doing classes and doing workshops gets you out, gets you meeting other people. And you discover your voice, Mm -hmm. you know? Discover your voice, like kind of also figure out a little bit what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong um having critique partners like I know Nicole is yours Scott here is one of mine who worked on both of my first books with me um he's also an author he writes nonfiction, and like we have traded work and like it's just so important to have other eyes you know and then now you get further in the process and you have your editor and your agent but like in the beginning especially what you just said though about critique partners is so so huge I mean like so huge and I don't like obviously we all write differently but like I was so guarded about my writing that no one would see it like at age nine I would, yeah I carried around like a Barbie binder with like all my stories divided suspense horror and suspense was like with a C instead of an S like, as a, and, like all these little things that now I look at and I'm like you and uh, and just terrible and I carry it but no one could ever look inside it was like my poems my stories mine you know and, like no one would read them and it's like so funny because like you do it's an exercise learning to like open your writing to other people and it's so scary and so what scary, I will yeah. say is like uh, my one of my first books and Nicole obviously knows this like I had sent to a friend of mine who was working in New York and his criti- like his letter response to it shut me down for two years mm. of my life two years and it wasn't even mean like there was no wow. it's just like you have to know what you can take and what you can't. Like, you learn your own limitations. I can't tell you what they are. But, like, if you are not ready to hear feedback, 
please don't share anything. I like my philosophy is I keep everything I'm working on to myself. I don't tell anyone anything. And the day that I wake up and it's like, I have like a bird flapping in my chest. It's like, I need to get this story out of me. It's singing. Like I need to tell somebody I'm so happy. I'm so excited. I love it so much. And it's a happy thing. Then I tell someone and it's like a great feeling. And then when I'm ready to share it with a person, it's like, you have to express, be like, first of all, don't pick someone critical, pick someone constructive. There is a world of difference between those two words. And second, um, make sure they know that you're like, what's happening here. It's like, I'm letting you read something. This is early. Like it's very fragile. Like I'm not telling you to lie. I'm just telling you to couch (laughs) this in ways like how you would need to hear it for it. You know what I mean? And that kind of way, because it's so important that you get someone who's not hurtful. Cause like, again, this person did nothing wrong, but he affected me in ways he had no idea. And you know, we all affect each other. And you just want people you trust. Or, I mean, I, in my workshops and my classes, I always try to foster a super positive environment um, and make it really comfortable because I think that is so important. You know, um, there's enough rejection in this world and in this business without it coming from your friends and your other writers. And I always think that, like, don't, like, let's not tear each other down. Like, no. let's really build each other up. But that doesn't mean, like, constructive feedback. On the, can uh, help yeah, a lot. right. Like, on the flip side of that, so then I finally put together a critique group and don't do what I did. I went on Craigslist. I was like, <laughs> hey, everybody, who wants to come over and write? Like, oh, literally, this woman showed up. Yeah, no, no. This woman showed up and she's like, aren't you afraid of serial killers? And I was like, oh, no, I am. Like, oh my God. I was like, everybody get out. Wait, is that how you two met now? No, that that's it? how we met. She just came over to my house. She's like, so that was brave. And I'm like, what? Like, you want a awesome. lemonade? Like, just totally And look, terrible. now you're both published authors. Like, how I cool know. is well, that? And that's what I wanted to say, that you, like, literally doing it, because you're alone. You're alone. When you sign a contract, you're signing it completely alone. It's just... Just you, unless you have a co-author. But like, it's so lonely. So having someone, like people you can share your writing with, and honestly, it just becomes a support group for life. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if you haven't written anything for that meeting. Just meeting other humans who are doing the same thing as you, who can understand you when you're upset, when like you're like, I got a two-star Goodreads oh, review. Yeah. And your parents are like, I don't care. I'm working and I'm doing this and I'm going behind it. And you're just like, okay, wrong person to tell. You know, you need those people who will get it and won't make you feel bad for like being upset about it. That's true. I think I'm weird though. I actually like the two star reviews because it makes it feel real. If everything was five stars, I'd be like, this isn't, it's not realistic. Like there aren't real people reading this. Oh, book. you don't curse them? No, I actually, Oh, I call my, like, my aunt's a witch and I did not. No, <laughs> I have this weird thing where I'm like, oh, there's real people reading the book. It's not just like friends. <laughs> because and I, I always say like, if you feel bad about your reviews, just go on Goodreads and look at the one star Harry Potter reviews. There are tons and tons and people took the time to write them. And who? How? Could, right. How? It's really hard to conceive but they're they exist blasphemy yeah sorry (laughs) let's take questions who has questions anyone anyone brave anyone have anything we've been so thorough yes sarah hi Hi, sarah so after both of your debut novels what did you learn when diving into the sequels or to the next one that was different than starting out great that's an awesome question. question fantastic question um what I would say, I had, I did this thing that at the time I was like, this is either insane or like super smart, and I won't know which until it's all over. But I was so invested in my story that when um, the 13th Continuum was on submission, I wanted to keep writing. And I had started writing Return of the Continuum. That's awesome. Which is here now. And That's I was like, awesome. I'm writing a sequel. And I was, 
at the time getting rejection. I was like, I'm writing a sequel to a book that nobody may ever want. Because you loved it. But I wanted to do it. And so I was like, either this is crazy and I should be writing something else to have another shot or it's going to be really smart because it's going to sell and be ahead of the game. And I didn't want to write like a filler second book. Like I wanted it to have depth and breadth and like expand story because a lot of people sell books and then the deadlines are crazy. So they're rushing around trying to figure out where the story goes. Um, So that's what happened. And I think second books for me in this kind of world building, they should really open up, expand the world, advance story. Like think of going from like Fellowship of the Ring to the Two Towers where suddenly we're seeing more of a scope of the world. We're seeing more characters. Things are happening. Um, So for me, that was already kind of in progress by the time I got my contract and signed it. So um, the third book was the one for me that I actually really truly had to write on deadline. And what I would say about it is that I sort of had an idea of what was happening, but eight months to write that book was fast. And my books are like multiple POV. Both of ours are over 100,000 words. We're not writing like 65, 75,000 words. And that makes such a difference in time. It's, it's a more effort. And the more characters you have, the more time. Um, and third books are fine. I know you're doing a fourth. Finishing up everything is hard, like tying it all together, paying it all off. So I found the second book kind of fun because I was like, oh, we're just continuing, we're continuing. And the third book, you're like, oh man, I got to bring it all to a head. I have a lot of empathy for George R.R. R. Martin. I'll put it that way right now. I totally understand why he's having struggles, right? Like, think about what he's got on his shoulders. You know, that's a huge undertaking. Because, like, if what I'm doing is this, his is like this, right? So, anyways, um, that's my thought. But I think series are fun because you get a bigger story. You get to live with characters. I love reading them because I love a book. I'm always so excited that I have more. Yeah. It's, like, the best thing. I don't know how other people feel, like, but I get excited. What about you? I I agree. With you writing the series. Because when you signed your contract, did you have other books in mind? Was that contracted? um, I... I um I kind of came so funny enough another Harvard connection my editor was a Harvard friend <laughs> so it's like all very weird and we met again 10 years you know or whatever 10 and and so it was one of those things where we were talking and I'd been writing and I didn't know what to write next and I wanted to write a sci-fi but I was terrible at science and like that haunted me still from class and like I didn't know what to do and she was like mix it with fantasy that's a thing now like sci-fi fantasy and we talked and like she had the idea of astrology because she's like mm. a big astrology person I didn't know anything about astrology in fact I was like what what is that you know like uh and of course now I'm just like oh, what's your yeah. sign um yeah but welcome to Los Angeles yeah no exactly it's like but yeah but it was so I actually I had five weeks to write it and oh it was 110,000 words oh my god and included in that five weeks was developing all 34 inhabited planets of my solar system, which meant like deciding which ones had atmospheres, which ones had to be terraformed, but the soil was this like what the, the culture was like, the religion. This is the stuff that she and I both do. We're yeah. so like crazy, but that's kind of fun too. It's it's the best. I, I mean, I'm very controlling, so like I love controlling my own universe and yes. like... That's I was, the fun part. You get to be yeah. like God of like your yeah. world. And I was like, you know, one planet isn't enough. You know, <laughs> two planets aren't enough. Let's do a whole solar system of planetary systems that have their own 
and small sons in some cases. Sounds it's, so familiar just yeah. based on my process. Let's not do one colony. Let's do a whole bunch and let's have them in all different places and with different worlds and societies. It's so like, but it's fun. But when you love something, yeah. like you wanna, you wanna, like basically, someone, I don't remember who said this, and if someone knows who it was, tell me. But like, there was an author who said, um, like, think about your three favorite things in the world, like your three favorite books or movies, whatever it is, and like, think about what links them. What, mm-hmm. like, deep, deep beneath everything, what is it that draws you to create or like to art? And I thought about it a lot, and I was like, you know what? sense of belonging like I don't I feel like a place and setting for me is the number one thing because I have yet to find where I belong in this world and like I feel like I immigrated here from Argentina and like lived in so many and like I still don't like I've never yet lived anywhere that I'm like this is where I want to have my life like I still feel like I haven't started you know and so it's like I look to books because when I first read Harry Potter I was like Hogwarts that's where I belong I was looking for you and so now I know I belong in books I don't belong here and that's totally fine you know but then I want to create something where I don't have to leave necessarily yes. and when you have 34 inhabited planets it's really easy and like it's crazy and so so yeah so mine was a little bit differently but writing the second one was so it was the easiest of all the books yeah. it felt like it was waiting for me to write it yeah. like it's like all right you got through the whole disaster of the first book but wait 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 wait. like I have something for you and the reason I think it was and this is different for every book because some of them are more plot heavy some yeah. of them are you know whatever in my case Zodiac was kind of like hey there's a terrorist attack in the galaxy go and so it's like okay and so you're meeting people and all this stuff as you're like yeah yeah yeah, they're shooting at us let's go let's go oh, okay you're coming with me you're and like you're just running and it's like a race through through space you know and like and you're stopping at certain planets but then it's like oh they're shooting at us let's go let's get back in space and you're going and so it's like when you meet someone even like obviously more relatable relatable for us would be an event if you're planning an event and you meet all the people who are planning that event and it's a huge event you're going to become so close to them immediately you don't know anything about who they were yesterday but today every decision they make like is how you get to know them and how you connect and stuff so the yeah. second book is the chance where you're like all right now is the day after the terrorist attack and like I'm having tea with you or whatever like who are you you know and that's where you get to explore characters so, so I true. loved it because we always say like my three books have somewhat distinct themes and the first one really is escape which is sort of what you're talking about yeah. where there's pressure there's problems in the world they really need to get out and the second book is where you're into the characters you just you're and with theme. Them. you get to theme. explore theme because you get to let the things that happened have resonance which is where to me like when I would read Harry I wanted to get to the very end of the book when Dumbledore would explain everything to me and like make me just feel so much smarter than I was when I opened it and it's that idea of like you get that sense of closure Mm -hmm. now the different the thing was like when I wrote the second one too like book one wasn't out yet so it's a completely different thing writing a book before because when I sat down to write this one yeah it was the hardest thing I've ever written to date and like I all I had was all the readers voices and like by that point Zodiac was in 10 languages so like I'd been hearing from people all over and so I had like all these thoughts like well in Germany they might not like oh in France they might and I just started like it was crazy and I was like who cares like what is wrong with you I just let every voice like in because I didn't want to hear my own I was like I'm gonna let everyone down so I'll let them write this book you know like they'll just tell me what you know which is never a great terrible terrible story no and and so like I essentially wrote this like the last month of deadline because I was like it's finally when I shut the door and was like all right no social media no anything write your story and of course now it's my favorite of the three and go figure I like literally thought the second one I I was not going to top the second one for me 
but I did, you know. But that's a great place to be in, and I feel the same way, too, about the third one was by far the hardest for me, but it's also my favorite now, I believe. Well, Libba Bray has this great thing where she says, like, you can tell if a book cost an author something to write, and it's so true, because you could read books you like, but you know it didn't cost the author anything, and it didn't cost you anything to read it either. But when a book cost an author something, you know, because it costs you, too. Yeah, and you'll feel it. Yeah. That was a great question, Sarah. Anyone else have questions? We'll go Daryl, and then we'll come around this way. I have this uh, thing that's happening right now, and I've already done a rough draft. I'm going through my revision, and there's a character that keep on wanting to come back from the dead. <laughs> <laughs> there. Jeez, I mean, I write, when I meditate, I write down, and it's like, her, go in there, saying this is where she needs to be. What do I do? You can bring people back from the dead. George R. R. Martin does it all the time. <laughs> Harry Potter does it. If we didn't see a body. <laughs> I bring some characters. I bring a character back in the third book that you may or may not have thought was dead. So um, you can, and when you're writing things, because you're doing fantasy, when you're writing things that are fantasy or sci-fi, and like I don't know if anyone saw it, wasn't a good movie, but the second Star Trek, like they totally brought Captain Kirk back from the dead with no great explanation. But it's J.J. Abrams, so he does things without explaining them just because they look cool. So anyways, you can always always find a way to bring someone back if you want or um yeah like game of thrones always say if unless you know for sure someone's dead they might not be dead and then even then they might still come back hello white walkers <laughs> catlin i know she's on the show is that but in the book anyway so um yeah bring them back if you want yeah i mean you can or they they can also be a presence in different ways yes, like it's, she's right it, it like it can be infused differently, I think, um, but it just depends on what works for your story. Like if you're, I find sometimes when I'm blocked, like if it's an issue of blocking, like where you can't move forward, then yes, I misstep somewhere back there. I, I took a wrong turn and I have to work backwards to find it. But if it's just like you love this person so much and you can differentiate between whether, because we all want a lot of people in our lives back, you know, so you know that how it feels when it's that right. versus when it's something that's right for the story. And Ramina's right. There's memory, there's flashback. And for anyone who's read my books, the beacons right in my books like they preserve people so there are characters who are in theory deceased who are communicating um, from beyond the grave yeah. more or less and it's explained sci- scientifically but like yeah exactly their voices are still with us so there's a lot of ways to I think continue a character great question <laughs> oh the the yeah what's it called the oh, short life of Brie oh yeah sub series or prequels which I totally in my nerdy way would want to do where I'm like I can write I can do one I have a Mars colony that did not they expired but I was like I could do a sub series in the Mars colony right you know um, prequels could be fun and my books all flash back to before doom in the beginning where we see Professor De Venice always before and that's like you know in theory he's not still around although Reed Return of the Continuums um, you know but again uh, uh, people can come back in ways that aren't necessarily fully alive that's what I'll say about that one. Senator! Okay, I have a non-writing question, and A, I want yeah. to point out how, like, just lovely you two are. <laughs> You too. Thanks, sweetie. You're lovely. You're all lovely. I love the love in this room. (laughs) Well, I mean, you guys are just so thorough, and, like, you can tell it shows through your books. Aw. And what my question is, is it was piggybacking on the first one, of, like, how do you keep everything straight? (laughs) Oh, jeez. Because, I mean, obviously, I've only read the first one, but... Holy moly. I know. I have a Bible, like, for it. Yeah, I do. I created a whole thing, and I have it all, like, it's Virgo. Come on. It's like, okay, the planetary makeup, la, 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 la. Like, this is, everything's broken into, like, as... 
Yeah. You have to have references. Um, yeah, I had stuff. I have timelines. You have timelines. You have timelines. Hit different histories of different places. Um, but it also depends. Yeah. You know, I'll say something on that, like on your approach, because every author that creates series or whatever has like a different. And for me, like the like I said, setting is the most important thing. So like I, I go to I put the detail I can handle in there you know like maybe yeah. uh, like there's certain things I can't probably handle in other parts of the writing that I don't go as deep into you know what I mean so it's like we all every individual is gifted with something else and it's kind of whatever you um and in my case like I subscribe to the Alan Watts philosophy of like we're not born into this world we're born from it so like we like trees like we we are what we are because of this earth and so um I start anything I write with the world it's in because who here takes my sci-fi fantasy class where do we start in sci-fi fantasy class world building on day one because what do I say in class because everyone is a product of the world and you can't develop characters we're just like all right what happened here did you give me up for adoption like did you just have us both and you were like you go to Argentina and I was gonna say (laughs) P.S. The other Always thing, in the States. We're like the same. But P.S., I also always teach that setting is more than setting. It, it places a character. Yes. And I teach yes. that in sci-fi yes. fantasy. And so for you, for me. And that's how, like, I so agree with what she's saying um, because the setting isn't just setting. It no. It is a it's, character. It's the birthplace of everything. And, like, mm-hmm. and, and the big thing to, if you should have your own logic for creating it. And so, and as long as you do, it's easy to keep everything. Like, for instance. Yeah, like, the logic is big. Like, asking what if questions and, like, everything comes yeah. from, like, a logical. And also, I mean, I do a lot of allegorical stuff where it's, like, you look at something that has worked in history or that exists Or oh, you use from here. Yes, yes, I do that, too. And then uh, it's, like, easier for you to like build off of that. Like, government stuff, like, yeah. I saw with your constitution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do that, too, where I'll take stuff from our, like, you know, mm-hmm. universal law versus planetary law becomes yeah. a big issue in this like state law versus, yeah which is really know, cool state like, rights versus and I think in space rights. it's actually maritime law which is really kind of weird and I'm a nerd oh, but I like yeah it's like maritime law if you're in space but um yeah so uh there's that and I think um I was writing a lot of multiple points of view by the third book I think I had eight or nine so I had like whiteboards with, like bubbles and like just trying to That's track insane. it all it was making because the third book I was getting a little crazy because I was like you know writing um that is like writing nine books in one because you have all these different tangents and you're trying to get them to kind of parallel um and balancing it all so yeah I was going a little nuts by the end um, but yeah but I mean you just do whatever you can to try to keep it straight and like I know like George R. R. Martin has research assistants because and there's like a Game of Thrones Wikipedia I don't know if anyone's ever seen that but um I've had to use it when I've gotten confused <laughs> while reading them reek reek threw me off book four <laughs> anyways if anyone's read them but um yeah I think all people I know JK Rowling had like didn't she have like charts and like all kinds of very detailed um Tolkien who's read that like the the appendices on Return of the King are you not like whoa you know who's built worlds that are more intricate he built languages so I agree. anyways um I it's love crazy that. making but fun <laughs> Actually, for you. What? I was gonna say, I love how it's spacey. Oh, well, Pretty. It's actually, in conjunction. With <gasps> oh, look at the colors. Oh, oh my God! I love it. I love you, Scott. Do you have a question? Yeah, um, I was wondering about the difference in writing serialized stories across multiple novels. Um, before you start to write, so it's like, do you? 
like map everything out along an outline and then sort of keep changing that as you go through? Totally. Um, I actually, that's funny. It's, it's good, good that you brought that up because I did think of this as a trilogy at the outset. And um, I first, I got a contract for the first book and I was like, let's kind of see what you can do, kid, kind of mm -hmm. style. And I was like, all right, fine. And then they gave me a contract for books two and three and they were like, yeah, we're good. Like we, we knew kind of what was happening. Everything was good. As I, after turn, turning in the second book and I, I turned to book three, I was like, I have no idea how to, like there is, the world had just grown so much by that point because I started with something so complex already yeah. and you can't go less complex as you write, like it always is going to grow from that and yes. so it's like start, like wherever your starting places know that you're going to end up like a hundred times more complicated. I feel like that. I learned that, this series, did you feel like you yes, learned that? I like totally, your, your point of views are going to multiply your... Like strip it down mm -hmm. as much as you can in the outset so that you can bring people with you and you don't lose them, that's the other thing. And then, yeah, like I realized I was like, it's not all going to fit in this book. Like this book would have had to be like double the length and also would have lost its way. It wouldn't have had one through line. It would have had to have multiple because I needed the character to go through certain things before she could even dream of leading the big battle at the end. Mm -hmm. And it was so lucky for me that the publisher actually approached me first about it. And they were like, hey, we were thinking about a fourth book. What? I was like, yes, great. yes, yes. Like I have plenty. And so I think it's okay for it to change. I think in fact it should change. Mm -hmm. I think it was a good sign because if ev if I'd kept to everything is at the outset, that would have meant I grew nothing from the first page to the last, and that would be pretty sad, you know. Even if the protagonist did, and probably she wouldn't have grown as much, you know. But I I kind of let her. And there's so many times when you write and you're like, oh, I have to change this in the outline now because yeah. I didn't mm -hmm. expect this character to do this. Yeah, exactly. And I always say like it's good. Um, I think it's a mistake to not have an idea of where you're going in yes. a broad sense. Um, yes. you'll never finish your book. I teach this to my yes. students too. Like you want to yeah. know the broad strokes, but I. Ideally, you want to also, I'm not a rigid outliner because you want to leave enough room in the story for it to surprise you. I agree. And it's so fun as an author because you're setting things in motion. When characters do things and maybe you're like, oh, whoa. Or I'll have things where like, oh, wow, that person's going to die here. I didn't realize that they were going to. Or, you know, which also can be sad. Yes. But, you know, I think that then and what she's saying is then maybe you are rejiggering your outline a yes. little bit or going back or something's shifting. Or in a, also in a revised stage, sometimes things deepen and you're like, oh, wow. Wow, this is neat. Exactly. Let me let me throw this in. Thematically, it's growing. Yeah, stuff you or, didn't even think would be a through. Yeah, line. things yeah. that come out, and you're like, oh, this is neat. So um, I think it's this mixture of planning yes. and then allowing some surprises for yourself, and then it'll I, feel more organic. It's kind of like your children. Like you mm -hmm. give them your genetic mm -hmm. material, right, and you raise them. But once you let them out into the world, if you're gonna try to control them, like their lives are not going to really be theirs. And yeah. so, as an author, if I after I create these characters try to dictate where they go that's when you get those forced books or those kind of like yeah whatever or preachy or whatever it is that's me I'm yeah. going to come out of this more than my character is so you do have to kind of let them go and like this mm -hmm. you know about astrology so like I'm Virgo and my character's cancer we couldn't possibly no, be more different that's like pretty different she she's so impulsive that she doesn't always think before she acts <laughs> and I think so much I never act and so like we I <laughs> just hate Virgo. every time she does something I'm like just stay home like why do you have to do this right now I wouldn't do it like don't doesn't that mean anything but no it doesn't and it shouldn't 
Well, yeah, and I think one of the things, too, that's hard, I always remember Kurt Vonnegut, who is one of my favorite authors and also an amazing writing teacher, but he always said, make great characters and then make bad things happen to them. I'm paraphrasing. But it can be hard when you're attached to your characters and you love them, but then you know you're going to put them through a lot because that is story. Yes. And so it can actually feel like being a little bit of, like, a a sadist. Yes. (laughs) You're like, let's torture them. Wayne. Um, Obviously not where you love being. Yeah. You're at home. Do you have a, have a separate side of your brain that kind of develops it for television or film? And given the state of scripted television, would you rather it be a trilogy film or would you rather it be a, a series? That's a fantastic question. Obviously, I'm a huge film fan and we are working on developing them. Um, and I've had people want to do it either way with TV film. We're at a very interesting juncture where um, I think film is a dying art form in some ways, which makes me sad because I am a huge film fan. Um, but I really think that what's happened with you know corporate corporations taking over all the studios with the budgets ballooning to insane levels. And I'm someone who loves big Hollywood films. I'm not like, but I used to go to the theater twice a weekend and now I go three times a year I want to say think about that and so and it's not that but meanwhile TV is exploding and um, it gives you a chance to go deeper into story and there's things like I developed Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell for film Um, I don't know if anyone saw it it was on BBC I think it was probably better for BBC when we got it we thought it would be for Peter Jackson Um, but I think it would have just truncated some of the depth if anyone's read it it is a very very dense fantasy novel and very in-depth world building and I think BBC was the right place for it Um, we were talking earlier about American Gods which is one of my favorite books all my students know this Um, I don't know if it would have worked as a movie it wouldn't have it's like this weird road trip kind of fantasy thing but Stars is doing it and it looks fantastic I can't wait to watch it so I think we're in this golden age of television Netflix is taking over Hollywood you know internet Amazon is taking over Hollywood they have huge budgets I've been told recently by my agents they have theatrical distribution. So um, I, it's, so my short answer is yes, I would love to see it developed. Um, but I, and I don't really know what is going to be the right way. Um, recently, I was even talking to someone about animation as a possibility, and I love animation. And um, animation is cool because you can really, you know, do big worlds and like, you know, you don't have to spend three hundred million dollars to do it, or you could, I don't know. But like, so. But I was kind of excited about that idea because I was like, that would be cool. But yeah, I would love to see it in some place. But I'm not in a rush. I want to do it the right way. Who's seen a book to film where the film was disappointing and you loved the book and you saw the movie and how bummed out were you? Yeah, right? Caden's not over. Yeah. Wait, wait which, which one is it? Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh. Yeah. I, and I know, I know people who work on that. <laughs> yes. I saw the movie. And this is Mortal cool. Instruments, right? Don't mess with Clary Frey. Yeah. And yes. then they changed that one and word. Then, and then and the shadow then that was it. Just went. Yeah. So it's hard. So like, I don't want to do like a bad version. So I kind of want to take my time and find the right collaborators and make sure it's done well because properties don't really use their value over time. They actually tend to gain in value and gain in readership, especially books. Books are a slow burn. They're not like opening weekend. Everyone's consuming it. You know, how many people have a stack on their to read shelf? 
like a huge stack. I do. I and I, I have I have 400 million books I want to read, but like how many books can you realistically read in a day? So it can take people a little bit of time sometimes to get to a book, and that's totally fair. So um, that's my long-winded way of saying that. I hope that I, we do adapt my series, but I hope that we do it in a good way. And maybe TV, but I don't know. We'll see. Um, my books are truncated like a trilogy, so they could be film. Um, and of the films they still make, because um, they don't, it's very narrow now what the studios make, this does slot in because it's young adult science fiction and big world building. Um, and that slots into what they still make. Um, if this was like a moody, like period, contemporary, yeah, they're not going to make that, right? That might be more for television. So that's why it's kind of weird. Like I have like, I had a TV producer on at first who was like, I want to do it, or a film producer was like, I want to do it for TV, and I have a film producer who wants to do it for TV. Uh, for fi- a TV producer wants to do it for film, so I don't know. Everyone's confused in Hollywood. Everyone's trying to figure out what they want to do. So, but everyone I know in film is getting into television very aggressively right now with the market. Um, anyways, what do you think about yours for? Oh, um, that'd be cool. Yeah, I, I don't care. Cool. I think yeah. the play would be fun. Oh, the play would be so cool. And the other thing is, like, for me, like, it's all gravy. <laughs> Come on! You do backdrops or different backdrop for every house. Well, they're doing Harry Potter as a play now, right? Cursed Child's a play. I mean, it's pretty imaginative. Um, but you know what? The books are satisfying enough that I always think the extra stuff, like, and especially like translation, like yeah. we sold Russia and China in my books. Like, it's just extra. It's like, oh, yeah. neat. Oh, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. Oh, you know, like. Totally. But the books are kind of the core. Yeah. Um, and having worked in Hollywood, it's nice because with movies, it's this long process adaptation, and a lot of people work. A book, it's you and your book, and then yeah. it comes out, and so it's more direct. And yep. we can write things that seem like they cost $300 million, but they cost paper. Yep. Yeah. Um, awesome. Was there like any Yeah. Was there any more questions? Anyone? Otherwise, we can hang out and eat cookies. And sign. Sign books. All right. Thank you all so much. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Romina. You're awesome. You're awesome. Congratulations. All right. Let's hang. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.